The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 252. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. If you want to find all those social media buttons on your own, just go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll find all my social media buttons. Why are there? Give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook and audiobook, Forgotten Founders, the audiobook read by yours truly. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. That's mclanahanacademy.com. When you do enroll, you do get a free course, so it's win-win, plus you get a coupon. After you enroll, it's a great deal. So go out to mclanahanacademy.com, enroll, get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, and then get your coupon and get your Brian McClanahan Show Classes, right? I mean, this is essentially what it is, McClanahan Academy. I've got seven classes available for the, for, uh, for sale there. So you can get uh, my newest, my survey course, U.S. History to 1865. It's part one of a comprehensive survey course. Part two comes out in the fall, so you're going to be looking for that too. Uh, but you can get a coupon, get that for a discount. It's, it's 54 lectures. I mean, you can't beat it. 54 lectures, 18 reading seminars. It's just a fantastic class. But I also have a class on the war, Reconstruction, the Constitutions, Secession, the Declaration, Hamilton, all kinds of great stuff. So you're going to want to get McClanahan Academy courses. It's the education you wish you had when you were in college or high school. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on if you're watching it on YouTube. Help keep the podcast going. You can also buy a book plate. So if you've got one of my books and you want an autograph, just buy that book plate. I'll sign it for you, send it out, and you can stick it on your book, and you've got my autograph on your book. So it's a great way to get my autograph. And, of course, don't forget, if you like this podcast, to share it around on social media, rate it on your favorite podcasting sites. It's a great way to spread the news. And if you want your Brian McClanahan Show logo gear, just go to my webpage at the top of the page. You'll see a tab that says Shop. Click on that, and it'll take you out. You can get all my uh, all kinds of stuff with my logo on it. Um, you can get T-shirts. You can get uh, wall plate stickers, um, and kids' clothes, all kinds of things. I mean, there's just awesome stuff with my logo on it. So go on out there and get that, too. All right. This is a listener-generated episode. And, again, I do encourage you to send me topics that you want me to talk about. And this one was just too juicy to pass up. And the reason it was too juicy to pass up is because it shows in some ways how this idea of think locally, act locally is taking hold not only of the left, but also the right. Or I should say not only the right, but also the left. Because it's always been seen secession and decentralization, nullification. All these things have been seen as tools of the right. But in reality, these are American tools. I mean, look, we can go back to the American War for Independence and we can find the first instance of nullification when we look at the Stamp Act and then we also look at the Suffolk Resolves. But when the Stamp Act was passed in 1765, the resistance to that was essentially nullification. They just weren't going to enforce it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what you would call nullification. 
When you get to the Suffolk Resolves, when you have the Intolerable Acts passed in Massachusetts, essentially, uh, the Parliament passes them, but they're enforced in Massachusetts. You have the people of Massachusetts come up with the Suffolk Resolves, which was nullification. We're not going to enforce the Intolerable Acts. We're not going to uh, take part in these unconstitutional laws. And see, that's the, that's the key to understanding all of this. It's unconstitutional laws. And I'm going to do a show, I think, at one point. Somebody's asked about Antifa and the Proud Boys and some of these things that are going on. And I'll talk about American violence, American political violence, and what that means. But before I do that, I wanted to get this topic out of the way. So you have this decentralist tradition that's as old as America itself, 1754. There's discussion of a union, the Albany Plan of Union, which Benjamin Franklin created. And he wrote that it didn't go through because the colonies were too provincial. They didn't want to be in some type of union, some type of central authority. In other words, these colonies thought of themselves as independent countries. In 1754, when you go back and read what's going on in the colonial period, I think it's much more instructive for understanding American decentralization than simply looking at John C. Calhoun or the period leading up to the war, or even Jefferson and Madison. Look, when Jefferson and Madison wrote the Virginia and Kentucky Resolutions in 1798, they were simply capitalizing on an already uh, existent tradition of decentralization. They didn't create that out of thin air. They understood what the Constitution was supposed to mean. They understood how it was supposed to work. And they understood that the Adams administration and the Federalists in Congress we're abridging that Constitution, which is why they reacted the way they did. So we've got this long-standing tradition of decentralization. We know that uh, Washington thought that government would not work properly if you didn't have a sound representative ratio. And his, his idea was 30,000 to 1. Well, we've got to a point where we have 750,000 to 1. We know that in 1787 and 1788, when the Constitution is ratified, that it was sold to the states on the basis that everything internal, everything domestic would be handled by the states. This is exactly how it was sold in every single state. The only thing the Constitution would allow the general government to do was handle commerce and defense. That was it. We know this. The evidence is all there on our side. And yet, we have this belief somehow that we have a national political polity, that we have a national government, that can do everything under the sun. Well, when you look at the American War for Independence, and you look what Tom Paine wrote about it. Tom Paine, who's a leftist. I mean, he is a radical. And so the lefties always latch on to Tom Paine. But Tom Paine said that if that ever happened, when Parliament says it can legislate for us in all cases whatsoever, there is no better definition of slavery or tyranny than that. If they can do whatever they want for you, that's... Slavery, that's, he said there's no other way to describe it. It's slavery. And yet this is exactly what Washington, D.C. today believes it can do, is legislate for the states in all cases whatsoever. Not just for the states, but for the people of the states in all cases whatsoever. This is why Think Locally, Act Locally is the only way to stop the monstrosity. We have to get people thinking again that the states have powers, because they do. In fact, they have more powers than any other leg in that general government. The states were always the central feature of the government. The Senate was designed to protect the states. 
So if we have the states acting in that manner, then the general government is powerless unless it's legislating for commerce and defense. That's it. But you see, when Bernie Sanders runs out there and says, you know what we need to do? We need to have all this criminal justice reform. That's, those are great talking points if you're running for governor of Vermont. And how do we know these things don't already exist? But this is where the federal government has gotten too powerful. It's overstepped its constraints. And it's become the entity where everyone looks to to solve problems. This is why, as I've talked about in this podcast over and over again, I actually did an episode entitled, Why Are Americans So Angry? They're so angry because they talk about national politics and we're trying to put together incompatible things. I also had someone email me the other day and saying, look, shouldn't it be better? Should we just have states as countries or will we have regional government? I think you would definitely have regional government in the United States. And in 1930, this is what the 12 Southerners who wrote I'll Take My Stand were actually talking about. They were talking about having regional governments that could deal with regional problems. They didn't think that you should have break apart the United States, but that you should have some other level where you should have regional problems under regional hands. This is exactly what was discussed when you had the Patterson Plan in Philadelphia, where you would have three presidents, each one being sectional, so that you could kind of have a regional input into the government, because Patterson recognized, all the founding generation recognized, that you had these incompatible things that you were trying to mash together, and if you did it with extreme centralization, you would have problems. So, all of that said, I mean, these are things I've said on this podcast over and over again, but maybe you're a new subscriber, maybe you're a new listener, you've never heard me say these things before. But I want to go to a piece that was published in the leftist website 538. Now, if you don't know about 538, it's actually owned by ESPN, and ESPN is certainly a leftist news organization. Now, they don't they don't say that, but they certainly are. Um, and in fact, this is why their viewership has tanked, because people don't want to get their politics and their sports. But they own 538, which is a political website. Now, they also do sports and other things and economics and, and science and health. It was uh, created by Nate Silver, and Nate Silver uh, made a lot of money as a statistician, and he came up with a method of predicting political, I'm sorry, not political, but political too, but predicting sports performance. It's called, it's called Pakoda. And um, he sold this to uh, a baseball website. And so they, these Pakoda stats are now used by geeks to go out and figure out, you know, how are, how are baseball players going to perform. And then, of course, he's gotten involved in politics and he famously predicted every state correctly in 2012, though he missed 2016. He missed 2016 because he's a lefty, you see. That's the problem. It was easy in 2008 and 2012 because of Barack Obama. But Trump complicated things. So he's got this website, 538, and there's an author there named Claire Malone. She's one of the correspondents. She's a rabid leftist. I mean, you, you can't get more left than Claire Malone. And they have this section where they get people to write in. This is called Political Confessional. And this was published on July 30th. So it's about a month old now. Um, but Political Confes Confessional is, uh, this is the first the first uh, article in, in Political Confessional. I haven't looked uh, to see. Uh, yeah, the, um, 
you have uh, all these pieces. This was the first one, and they've, they've or, I'm sorry, it's not the first one. Uh, they had some back, going back to March, excuse me. So they've only had it since March. So this was actually the most recent one, excuse me. I have it backwards. This is the most recent one. And you look at the headlines in this. Um, it's uh, March 4th. Tell us the political belief you're scared to share with your friends. Um, and so some of the titles. Political confessional. I think it's immoral to have children, especially more than one. So that's standard left is fair. I don't know why that's uh, some type of outrageous belief. Um, that's uh, that's standard uh, far left Malthusian nonsense, right? Then the next one, political confessional. Democracy is overrated. I want an oligarchy. So, okay, here you kind of, people will say, well, that's swinging to the right. I know lots of people who are monarchists. They, they, uh, they want to bring back uh, monarchy, but... Saying democracy is overrated, I mean, this is a libertarian position, too. Uh, you have uh, Hoppe's uh, Democracy, the God that Failed, which is a great book. Um, and so this, and of course, conservatives uh, as well, you know, John Randolph of Roanoke, democracy is overrated. But uh, the next one, I think private schools should be banned. Again, standard left is fair. Um, the next one, I think Democrats should compromise on abortion to win votes. Now, this is somehow, you know, far out there a statement to say, according to Claire Malone. Now, this is, that's, uh, I'm scared to share that. What friends do you actually have, if that's the kind of stuff that you're afraid to share with your friends? Uh, the 75-year-old woman who prefers to vote for men. Oh, this is, oh, a woman actually prefers to vote for men? Oh, my gosh. How, how scandalous. How scandalous. I mean, you think about this. This is where these people live. Right, so a woman who prefers to vote for men—it's scandalous. I, I would be afraid to share that with my friends. Again, what kind of friends do you have? And then the guy who wants to bring back the draft. Uh, now, again, that's—if uh, you're a lefty, are you? I mean, if you're a libertarian, uh, that's—that's you might say, well, I mean, that's something I may not talk about a whole lot. Uh, but there are people in it, but. There are many mainstream establishment types, left and right, who would want to do this. I don't know if this is too far out there. And then there's this one, and this is the one I want to focus on, the most recent one. The man who thinks the U.S. is better off as a bunch of separate countries. So I want to go through this one, because this one is really fun. Uh, and it's the, the begins with, Welcome to Political Confessional, a comment about the views that Americans are scared to share with their friends and neighbors. In an increasingly polarized political climate, adherence to party or ideological orthodoxy on the issues of the day seems de rigueur. Social media serves only to amplify that perception at times, but Americans' political views are often idiosyncratic and sometimes offensive, and they rarely adhere neatly to any particular party line. In this column, we want to dig into Americans' messy opinions on politics, morality, and social mores. We hope this exercise gives readers a glimpse into the minds of those with whom they might disagree or agree. If you have a political belief that you're willing to share with us, fill out this form and we might get in touch. This week we talked to Chris, a 35-year-old white man from rural Pennsylvania. Chris wrote in that he thought the U.S. should have a velvet divorce, a reference to the peaceful dissolution of Czechoslovakia, now the Czech Republic and the Slovak Republic in 1993. Chris went on, I live in a heavy Trump country, but no, he's an idiot. But even Trump haters wouldn't agree to break up the U.S. and 
Certain areas, the South, the Midwest, will be horrible for minorities and destroy the environment. But it's obvious the U.S. has run its course. So, I mean, first of all, let's look, let's just look at that particularly stupid statement. And she gets it. I mean, they, they, they just double down on this later on. But even Trump haters wouldn't agree to break with you. Really? Have these people looked at California secession? I mean, which is all over the place right now. Uh, but this is it. These people live in their own little worlds, and they don't see the things that are going on around them. This is how close-minded many people on the left, and I, I, admittedly on the right, actually are. But I would think that this idea of breaking up the United States would be, as he says, a little more palatable to those on the right because they have this American, they're traditionalists in that way. that They look, well, I mean, maybe we had independence, you know, these kind of things. But certainly on the left, this is how closed-minded people are on the left. This is why the left and the neoconservatives, too. I mean, these are the two groups that are the hardest to reach on these particular issues. The left and neoconservatives. Neoconservatives are so interested in Lincoln, they just want to kill anybody that thinks otherwise. That's traitor! Treason! But uh, those on the left... um, really have, I mean, and, but some are coming around. I mean, look, California secession, um, there's a pretty decent California secession movement right now. Um, and of course, it, it, but they don't know that. I mean, Claire Malone probably has no idea this exists because again, she lives in her own little world where it's scandalous to say that a, a woman would rather vote for a man. I mean, think about that. Or that it's scandalous to think that Gee, uh, you know, I don't know if I should. We should have. This is this is how these people think. That's scandalous for the lefties. For the lefties, come on. Uh, now, and, and then he says, in certain areas, the South and Midwest will be horrible for minorities and destroy the environment. That idea that the South will be horrible for minorities. Let's think about this logically for a second. Um, number one, as I think I've pointed out on this, po- I know I've pointed out on this podcast before. Uh, Minorities have more political power in the South than they have anywhere else in the United States. Look it up, right? For example, in my home state of Alabama, minorities, if you just say African-Americans, control about 30% of the state legislature. And if we're going to vote strictly on racial lines, which is what I think everybody does, which is not true, but everybody does, if we're going to vote strictly on racial lines, then they control 30% of the legislative process. African-Americans constitute about 8% of the U.S. House, and I think in the Senate it's like 2% or something like 1%. I can't remember the number, but it's, it's low, right? So where do African-Americans actually have more power, in Alabama or in the U.S. House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate? Where are Confederate? If, if the issue of Confederate monuments that people get so worked up about now, if that's if that's simply a racial issue, where are Confederate monuments being taken down in Southern cities? Now I know that the state legislatures have tried and put up legislation to try to block this stuff, but you look at where these things are taken down in Southern cities, where minorities control the city councils. So this is where they're coming down. So. Where do minorities actually have more power? In the South. So this statement is based on a guy who lives in Pennsylvania who's probably never left the state. He says, oh, I I went to school somewhere else. He doesn't say where. It was probably New York. I mean, I don't know, but he's really never left his state. He doesn't have any view outside of his own little myopic little world. And that's okay. This is okay if all he was doing was governing his own little area 
And he wasn't, but he, he worries about things he shouldn't even worry about because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, as far as the environment, um, Pennsylvania is a pretty nasty state when it comes to the environment. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, there's the idea, there's the, uh, the, the Pittsburgh's not, not the cleanest city in the world. How about Philadelphia? I mean, how about, I mean, you want to go on the Schuylkill, the Schuylkill River? Yeah, go swim in there. How about New York? I mean, these areas are pretty nasty areas, right? But somehow the South is just going to destroy the environment. Destroy it! This is what these people think and what's why they're so stupid. But anyways, let's get into his interview because I think it's pretty instructive about um, how these people are lost. But at least he's, he's coming on board, right? This is Think Locally, Act Locally. So Claire Malone, maybe you can start off by telling me how you came to think of this. <gasps> the sacrilegious stuff. Oh my gosh, how'd you think of this? Well, Chris says, I've always been a history buff, and it always seems that these large powers rise and fall. They usually get too big, and they drink their own Kool-Aid a little bit too much. I feel like we've reached that point. I feel like the U.S., first of all, the language, I feel, I feel. He's emoting, right? So this is the problem with a lot of people today. They emote. They don't think, they feel. I feel, I feel. We don't need to emote everywhere. That's ridiculous. You need to think. I feel we've reached that point. I feel like the U.S. peaked in the 1990s, and I would definitely say that 9-11 is what spurred it on, because I feel like you don't get to Trump without 9-11. Really? You don't get to Trump without 9-11? Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> how about you don't get to Trump without Barack Obama? How about you don't get to Trump without the imperial executive? How about you don't get to Trump without Abraham Lincoln? I mean, come on now. U.S. has always been, I would say, on the right side of the bell curve when it comes to jingoism, a little bit more patriotic than most countries. The bell curve. So here's a guy who's saying he's a rabid leftist, but he's talking about the bell curve. Anyways. But it hasn't always been overly oppressive or debilitating. It was just one of those qualities that would describe the U.S. And I feel like I feel like 9-11 exacerbated those qualities. I feel like it's gotten to the point where the U.S. is too big to fail. And when something's too big to fail, people stop working hard to make it work because they think it can't fail. I mean, um, so this is an interesting perspective on why he's starting to come up with these ideas of independence. Uh, Claire Malone, but you've also come, gone one step further saying we need entirely separate countries. I'm curious what took you over the hump there. Chris, I've sort of felt this way since, felt, since, this way since George W. Bush. We're so polarized that the federal government doesn't really work. If it's not working, then you might as well break it up before the point where the break is so bad that you end up with, say, a second civil war, which I don't think would happen. The only time he's thinking is when he talks about the civil war, but everything else is feeling. But if you can alleviate the pressure earlier by saying, let's isn't working, let's break it up, say should join together and form their own countries. And I think it would actually help in the sense that they would have to work together to keep, eco keep economic prosperity going. Um, so he's saying this is Georgia Bush. Here's a leftist. George W. Bush. I mean, oh my gosh, George W. Bush, the progressive, was too right-wing for me. The progressive George W. Bush, the most vanilla of anybody that's been in the executive office in a long time. Uh, so, 
Claire says, so what kind of new countries do you see forming from the states? Obviously, Chris says there would be red and blue states forming countries, and the swing states would have to decide how they wanted to merge together. New England states would be obvious to form a new country together. Then maybe there would be a country like New York, Pennsylvania, all the way down to Virginia. Then the Carolinas through Georgia and Florida would form another one. Texas and California could probably form their own countries, maybe even Florida. Louisiana might latch on to Texas simply because if something bad, if something bad happened with New Orleans, they would need the help. Claire Malone, you're basically making the argument that we should have geographically smaller countries because we've gotten too big to make things work. Hallelujah. Yes, that's true. This is true. Uh, I mean, this is... <laughs> oh my gosh, the light bulb might have gone off. Yeah, Chris says, America's always contained multitudes, like Walt Whitman said, that contradict each other. So he's, he's like, <laughs> Walt Whitman. How about what the founding generation said? No, no, no. It's Walt Whitman. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the problem with American education. He's going to know about Walt Whitman and Leaves of Grass, but he's not going to know about anything that the founding generation said about this particular issue. And this is about things that, in America that contradict each other. Not the fact that we've had incompatible things since the 17th century in America. But it's almost gotten to the point where there's really no way to build bridges. People like to light them on fire. There's really no empathy toward each other. And you need that to build bridges. Well, I mean, there never really has been. Uh, I'm sensing that maybe something about the place where you live or your experience has led you this direction. Yeah, Chris says, I grew up here, but I went to college away from here. There it is, college educated. I recently went to a fair. When I was a kid, you maybe saw a Second Amendment t-shirt, but they were largely selling pop culture t-shirts, the Simpsons, that type of thing. We recently took the kids back to the fair, and all the vendors' shirts were predominantly the Second Amendment and Trump. This area's always leaned right. You've always had a bunch of Bush, Cheney, bumper stickers, McCain, Palin, Romney. They didn't play as big, but... They didn't play as big, um, but people definitely voted for them because it was their party. It's definitely become a cult of personality with Trump. Do you feel like it affects you interpersonally, day to day, Claire Malone says. It's kind of weird because everyone just assumes that people think like you do because of where you live. So I keep my cars pretty close to the vest. I keep it quiet because people tell you what they really think. Claire Malone says, do you have an example of that? Yes. Chris says, there's a lot of moderate racism. If they were talking to someone they didn't consider part of their tribe, they would word it differently. Like, there's a certain word they have for Martin Luther King Day. Not everybody says it, but, the, but more than you'd think. And Claire says, what is it? And then Chris says, it's the N-word. End, kind, end day is kind of what they say. Even the people who don't say it chuckle at it. Even if it's saying is a bridge too far, they enjoy someone saying it. So first of all, let's back up here. So this guy, Chris, says that in the South, minorities will be treated horribly. Yet he just says in his own little place of Pennsylvania, people run around calling Martin Luther King a racist epithet. Now, I live in Alabama and nobody calls it that here. Nobody calls it that here that I've ever met, that anybody have never met anyone that ever called it that. Ever. Yet, here in Pennsylvania, they do. And in fact, I knew someone from Pennsylvania one time that said the only problem with the Democrat Party is all the black people in it. This is what they said in Pennsylvania. So where are, again, where are minorities worse off? Hmm. You know, Stacey Abrams almost won the governorship of Georgia. Almost won. Now, how many... How many black governors are in the North? I don't know. I mean, I'd have to look this up, but I think the number is probably pretty close to zero. (laughs) 
So, uh, I mean, and and have as a black governor, I mean, maybe uh, what, maybe New Jersey? I can't remember now. Uh, I'd have to look up how many African American governors there are in the North, but I don't think it's many, if there's any. And uh, the fact is that Stacey Abrams almost won in tooth and and uh, this last gubernatorial race, 2018, almost won. Um, so again, where are minorities worse off in your little area of Pennsylvania there, Chris, where people use racial epithets that I've never heard anyone say about Martin Luther King day in the South. I don't know. That's weird. Um, and, and then Clarence says, how do you handle this? That what happens in front of you, do you try to avoid these situations? Chris says, well, it's largely older people just sort of shrug it off because they're far from different, different generations set in their ways. There's no point arguing. There's no point. And it's difficult when you're the minority in a situation to argue back. You're just not going to change any minds. Uh, so then Claire says, well, have you ever talked to anyone about your idea of breaking the U.S. up into different countries? Chris says, I haven't been as straightforward. I've said things like, you know, this is going to lead in one direction. After all, Texas discussed secession when Obama was elected. I think if Republicans keep winning elections with a minority vote, we'll see states like California discuss this. Well, they're already discussing it. Chris, where are you, buddy? You're behind the times. You're in western Pennsylvania. not, But yeah, I mean, you're behind the times. Focus on western Pennsylvania. You want to change something and you think it's bad that these people are running around saying all these terrible things about, admittedly so, about Martin Luther King Day. That's fine. You want to say that? Then change their minds. They don't worry about what happens everywhere else. And then, but they, 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 she, again, they, they're going to double down on this. Claire says, I know what you mean, but that still sounds like a pretty radical thing. Chris, the idea of U.S. having its own government was a radical solution. It was, wasn't always until it happens. I'm sure the Roman Empire at its height never thought they would break apart the way they did. I'm sure the British Empire in the 1700s and 1800s always thought they would have a toehold in different parts of the world. When you think like that, that's when things start to crumble any, away. And I feel like it's crumbling started with 9-11. If Osama bin Laden were alive, he'd be happy to see what was happening in the U.S. right now. Um, so, so Claire, oh, oh, you, you said this could adversely affect, Claire says, you said this could adversely affect minorities in certain regions. I'm curious if you think this would be an abdication of moral duty if some people were left worse off. Chris, I think you're always taught when you're younger that the U.S. is a good guy. But if you look through history and how we developed, it's been the good guy to some people and the bad guy to others. It's a moral country when it benefits us. But for instance, Claire says, for instance, Claire, black people in the Deep South, they might be worse off, right? Chris, they would be, yes. Um, what evidence do you have to that, Chris or Claire, that they would be worse off from Pennsylvania or Claire from who knows where? I don't know where Claire's from, from uh, Leftyville, wherever it is. Uh, the best way to do it would be to sort of self-sort a little bit, allow more people to move to where they feel less threatened. Now, this is the funny thing, because there's a mass exodus of African-Americans back to the South. They feel really threatened in places like Detroit. They feel really threatened in places like uh, you know, some of the boroughs of Los Angeles. They feel real threatened there. I mean, they feel real threatened in places like Chicago. So, so they're moving back to the South where they don't feel as threatened. This is interesting, isn't it? Chris and Claire. But, I mean, you know, I, I digress. Because, of course, according to Chris and Claire, because black people in the Deep South, I mean, worse off. How so? How would they be worse off? Um, 
I feel bad about it, Chris says, but I feel like it's I feel like it's going to happen one way or the other. Maybe if we can control the process a little bit, I'll tell you where people are worse off. It's conservatives in California. They're pretty worse off in California. Uh, I mean, this is why they're leaving the state. Anybody that has a brain is leaving the state of California. Uh, and how many years do you think your crazy idea for breaking the U.S. into different countries would be taken seriously as a mainstream idea? This is a crazy idea. Chris, I think it would depend on how elections go. If Trump wins re-election, it might be within 10 years. If Democrats win and Trumpism dies off and Republicans maybe try to build a bigger tent and try to win with more votes rather than with voter suppression, I think it could be staved off. I mean, look, just look how, the, how, the, how these idiots think, right? Voter suppression. This is voter suppression. Who's suppressing votes? Because you're requiring somebody to show an idea that's voter suppression? I mean, come on now. That's how stupid these people are. Um, if you thought this since college, it's not necessarily something that I want to see happen. But I've thought this since college, but it's kind of like the old river control system on the Mississippi River. It's a control system. It keeps the Mississippi's waters going down the Mississippi instead of going down the some other river. But the rivers want to go down these other rivers, but the more they keep it from trying to do what it wants to do, the more pressure it puts on the old river control system. Eventually, it's all going down these other rivers. They can either slowly do it over the course of 20 to 30 years, and they can allow people to move their houses that are going to be underwater, or they can just let it burst and watch the end of, say, uh, Morgan City, Louisiana. Um, so they can put it off the worst is going to be, and that's how I feel about this. The longer we take the U.S. take the U.S. for granted, and it's too big to fail, the worse the failure. So, at least Chris is thinking. Well, he's more emoting. He's feeling. He's feeling about some things, thinking about other things. But this is interesting because this is in 538. This is a pretty highly populated red website, and Claire Malone is again a lefty's lefty. So that the fact that she put this out there, I mean, that's that's pretty bold on her part to do it. I'll, I'll give her credit for that. I mean, some of the language is just stupid. But this is where we are in 2019. People are actually starting to think about this. We're thinking locally and acting locally, and this is a great example of how. But I would say to Chris and Claire Malone, I mean, why not change Western Pennsylvania? Why always focus on these national ideas, quote-unquote national ideas? Focus on where you are, and if you don't like what people are doing in Western Pennsylvania, then try to change it there. Why be close to the vest? I mean, if you really feel strongly about these things, because you feel you're emoting, if you really feel strongly, or if you really think about these things in a strong way, then try to change it where you are and don't just hide. I mean, I'm just going to hide here in Western Pennsylvania because uh, people don't think like me, so they don't feel like me, so because they don't feel like me, I'm just not going to say anything. I mean, you could change Western Pennsylvania. What's saying you can't? Claire Malone, wherever you live, why can't you change where you are? I mean, does, does everyone have to be like you? Does Georgia have to be like you? Or how about, how about Texas? How about California? California doesn't have to be like me. I don't care. This is cultural imperialism is what's going on here. They're missing everything. But at least there's some discussion. And so I think that's what's valuable about this piece. Again, this is ESPN-owned. Um, and, of course, some of the other lefty sites have brought up things about decentralization. Washington Post has done it. I mean, New York Times has done it. There's some discussion about it because, again, as they're saying, Trump's in office. They're going to talk about it. And, with, and he said, well, if Trumpism dies, then we won't talk about it anymore because we'll have the power. It's all about power is what it comes down to. It's all about power. It always has been. What we really need is a firm commitment to decentralization, regardless of who's in power, because that would help everybody in the long term rather than just short-term, immediate. 
But anyways, thanks to the uh, listener who sent this in, and I enjoyed talking about it today. And I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. (laughs) 